Hello, Grace family. Well, the Christmas season is well underway, and it is, in my view, the most wonderful time of the year. But have you ever wondered why? I mean, why is Christmas so special? It can't be the fruitcake, right? <laughs> it, it surely can't be the long lines at the shopping malls and the nightmare of parking. And drivers, whoo, drivers become obsessed around Christmas. Even little old grandmas can become like NASCAR drivers when it comes to beating their fellow shoppers to the store. No, Christmas brings a bundle of both blessings and challenges. But it's so special to me because Christmas reminds us of the greatest act of love of all time. God invaded the earth on a rescue mission. He came to save his people from their sins. The manger of Bethlehem and the cross of Calvary are vitally connected. And because Jesus came and died and rose again, you and I can be forgiven of our sins and receive the gift of eternal life. That's what our 2020 campaign is all about. You see, Grace Fellowship exists to get that message out to as many people as possible. God is calling us to make more and better disciples, to, to introduce people to Jesus and then help them get better acquainted with Jesus as they grow in their relationship. As I've always taught you, buildings are just ministry tools to help us do that better. That's why we expanded our Half Moon Campus. And the benefits of that better ministry tool are paying off big time. We're going to make some changes at Latham so the ministry at our original campus can be more effective than ever. These visible changes at Latham will all begin to take shape in the next few months. I shared with you last month that Debbie and I feel nudged by God to increase our giving to the 2020 Vision Campaign by 10%. Perhaps you can join us in that by making the same kind of commitment. December is a time when some of you make year-end gifts. Please consider the 2020 campaign in your year-end giving. Your year-end gift could help us complete the facade at Latham and help us greatly with some interior upgrades as well. The campaign is quickly coming to a close in March. Let's finish strong. Let's make December our biggest month so far for the 2020 vision. All right. Hello and uh, welcome everyone to Grace. Welcome to this wonderful experience of worship together. Hey, let me ask you a question. What comes to your mind when you think joy? When you think of that word, what does it sort of uh, bring up for you? Uh, maybe it is a sunny day in December, and there aren't a lot in this part of the world, but maybe when you feel that sunshine on your face, you just want to kind of stand there a moment and get a little vitamin D and just kind of rejoice, 
it brings joy to your heart. And while winter is okay, it just kind of reminds you, hey, winter doesn't last forever and spring is on the way. What represents joy for you? Maybe it's a meaningful relationship in your life where you're getting to know a person and kind of sharing your soul together. Maybe for you, joy is something more practical. It's just payday. Payday is a day of joy. Or perhaps for you, as a student, it's passing a test or passing a course. Or maybe you're an athlete, and joy for you is just winning that winning that game or being first in your particular district or conference. What is joy? What does it mean for you? I believe that most people are on a search for joy. And that's why the Christmas season has as one of its central themes the theme of joy. Please listen as I read from Luke chapter 2, this classic Christmas story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Wow. Don't you know that those shepherds' lives were never the same after an encounter like that? But can I tell you something that's really strange, I believe, about this story to me? Even though the angel promised good news of great joy, if we're really being brutally honest about the facts, it did not mean great joy for everyone that was involved. They did go check it out. That's to their credit. The shepherds went to Bethlehem, and they found that what the angel had told them was really true. They found Mary, they found Joseph, and they found this little baby, Jesus, in the manger. All of that happened just as the angel said, and I'm sure that must have been encouraging to them. It at least said to them, wow, we weren't just dreaming. This wasn't just some mass illusion that we had. No, this is real. It happened just as the angel said, and Verse 17 later says, when they had seen him, that is Christ, they saw this baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now let's admit, up to that point, it does seem to be coming true. Just as the angel said, it's all exciting, it's all joyful, but right after this, This evil King Herod puts out this decree that all the baby boys around the vicinity of Bethlehem, two years and younger, are to be executed. And there was weeping and crying. There was anguish in the land. Can you imagine 
how painful that was, how horrifying. And I believe that some of these shepherds may have had members of their own families who were executed in this holocaust. Or maybe they had cousins or nephews who were put to death. And the whole community of Bethlehem is in shock. So think of the strange irony of the story. The angel said it was supposed to be good news of great joy. But instead, soon it issued in the massacre of innocent babies. And what followed that was about 30 years of virtual silence where the shepherds must have been scratching their heads. They must have been wondering, what happened? Did we get it wrong? Did we hear the angel wrong? Was the angel misguided? Nothing seems to be going on here that qualifies as good news of great joy. Maybe they even wondered if this baby, Jesus, had been killed in the massacre. And as they go about their daily lives, for these 30 or so years, Wondering when it's all going to come to fruition, they must have been wondering, when is the joy going to show up? When is the joy going to show up? So far, all of this seems to have led only to hardship and misunderstanding and disaster. When is the joy going to show up? Hey, have you ever wondered that in your own life? Maybe sometime back, you opened your life in a whole new way to God. Maybe this has been an awesome, awesome time in your life where you did that, but if we're just keeping it real, not everything has been joyful, has it? I mean, some of you may, after you opened your life to the Lord, you lost a job. Or maybe because of some of the changes in your attitude and perspective, maybe some friends turned their back on you, or maybe you got a less than favorable report from the doctor, or perhaps your finances are kind of in a mess, and maybe this season you're wondering, when is the joy going to show up? If that's you today, I would ask you to please, please listen very carefully to this message, because I'm convinced God has a personal, and I mean a personal word for you today. He does not want you to miss. Joy is a huge theme in Scripture. It's talked about over 200 times, but here's the problem. I believe that most people misunderstand it and what it really means. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines joy as, and I quote, the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or the prospect of possessing what one desires. Did you catch that? Check out any dictionary you want. Look it up yourself. They consistently define joy as an emotion, and it is. Words they commonly use as synonyms are felicity, delight, gladness, and enjoyment. But what no dictionary will probably ever tell you is that there are a number of myths about joy, and I believe we need to tackle a couple of those head on tonight right up front. Here we go. One myth about joy is that you can only experience joy 
when all the pain is gone out of your life and when there are no unpleasant experiences going on. Hear me today, that is a complete myth. The Bible teaches that you can actually experience this great joy Scripture talks about even, even when your life is difficult. In fact, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, talks about Jesus Christ going to the cross. And the cross, if you're not aware, was a method of execution. It was a horrible one. The victim's wrists, their hands and feet were nailed to wood, and they hung there suspended between heaven and earth. It was a horrible, excruciating way to die. But listen, listen to what it says about Jesus' death on the cross. Hebrews 12, verse 2, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Joy can show up even in the midst of pain. Now, the cross itself was not a joyful experience. No, but the joy, it says there, was set before him. It was the the prospects of what was happening at the cross. It was the prospects of what the cross was going to set in motion that gave Jesus this deep inner joy, even in the midst of pain, because of what God was doing. And by the way, do you know what that prospect was? It was you. It was you that gave Jesus that sense of prospective joy on the cross because he knew that this atoning death, I am dying here, is going to be adequate to pay for the sins of Rex Keener and all the other sinners in this world. That was the joy. That was what gave Jesus joy. And by the way, if you feel unloved today, or if you feel nobody cares about you, I want you to know something. Jesus Christ loved you that much, he went to the cross on your behalf. That should blow your mind. That should get your attention. That God Almighty loves me that much. A second myth I think we should tackle right up front is that joy is just another word for for happiness. So hear me today. Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is a good feeling on a good day. Maybe the sun is shining You're lying on the beach. You happen to love the beach, and so you're happy. What's more, you love ice cream, so you have an ice cream in your hand right on the beach. And man, you are happy. But suddenly, a dark cloud covers the sun, and cold drops of rain begin to pelt you, and your ice cream falls in the sand, and it's gone, and you're miserable and you run for cover, and you are suddenly no longer happy. Isn't that weird? Happiness is such a superficial, such a fickle emotion. It's based entirely on circumstances. Joy is very different than that. James writes, James is one of the writers in the Bible, and he says, consider it pure joy, my dear brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And then he goes on to say, why? Because these trials are going to be working in you something called perseverance. 
In other words, God's going to be deepening you, making, making your experience with him richer and more meaningful. And the joy is not in the trial itself. The joy is rooted in the knowledge that God is doing something through the trial, something that's going to be for your good and for his glory. So, is joy an emotion? You bet it is. But emotions don't exist in a vacuum. Joy is always, always, always connected to something. Let me illustrate this. And this is where I think it's going to get very, very personal for all of us. In the world of psychology today, there's something called cognitive behavioral therapy. I think it's one of the most realistic uh, models of therapy that exists. I think it's very down to earth, and I think it kind of is based on the cognitive experience of just about every uh, person on the planet. Dr. Albert Ellis was a doctor at Johns Hopkins Hospital for many years and one of the pioneers in what has become known as cognitive behavioral therapy. Don't take my word for it, just Google it. It'll give you more information than you ever wanted. But he developed a theory that is literally called the ABC theory, and I want to explain it to you. It's really easy to understand. A stands for activating event. That's the A. B stands for belief about the event. That's the story you tell yourself in your mind. That's the dialogue that goes on in your mind whenever anything happens to you, good or bad. There's a dialogue. That goes, that's your beliefs. It's driven by your beliefs about that event. And then the C is the consequent emotion. That's why it's called the ABC theory. Activating event, belief about the event, consequent emotions. Now, Albert Ellis says we don't just go from A to C. It's not the activating event that causes the emotion. No, no, no. What causes the emotion, whether good or bad, is not the activate. It's the beliefs we have about the event. It's kind of how we interpret the event. And so he gives a classic illustration. Two men are standing in a rainstorm. One is mad, the other is glad. Standing in the same rainstorm. But they have these totally different, totally conflicting emotions about the rain that is pouring down on them. And if you were to ask the first man, why are you mad? He would say, because it's raining. And if you were to ask the second man, why are you glad? He would say, because it's raining. The first man is a golfer. The second man is a gardener. And it's really been dry lately. One is, ex one is so mad because it's raining. The other is so glad and just rejoicing. Same experience. Different beliefs about the experience. One sees it as a bane. The other sees it as a blessing. The belief makes the difference. Another example. Two kids playing on the beach. Suddenly a wave comes rolling in, a rather large wave. One of the kids screams and runs to his mother. The other kid runs into the wave with a giggle. He leaps into it and begins to enjoy it. Same event, different belief. One says, this threatens me, I'm afraid. The other says, this is wonderful. I can play in this. 
question. The waves that are crashing in on your life today, dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, what is your perspective on those? How do you perceive them? What do you believe about those waves, those experiences that are crashing in? Are you running in fear, believing this is going to destroy me, destroy me, or are you kind of running into it, saying, yeah, I'm not totally confident, but I know one thing. My loving Father has allowed this in my life, and he's got a purpose here. Your belief about what happens to you makes all the difference in the world in how you feel about it. So when the Bible talks about good news of great joy, there's a reason. It's because God is here dwelling among us. He's not far off. He is here now. He is accessible. And that belief leads to incredible joy. But please don't misunderstand what that angel meant when he promised good news of great joy. He did not mean that you're going to go down to Bethlehem now and all of your pain is going to be gone. Your life is suddenly going to be perfect from now on. It is going to be goosebumps and glory for you guys from now until heaven. No. They discovered soon that life doesn't work that way. Evil things still happen. Evil people and selfish people are still prevalent in this world. And the evil King Herod went on a killing spree and massacred babies two years old and under. So how can you ever have true joy in a world like this that is so messed up? How can a Christ follower be truly joyful in a world where bad things happen and where God's will is definitely not always carried out? Here's the reason. Because God is here. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's actually dwelling in you by his spirit, and he started a good work in in you that he is not going to give up on. He's going to finish the work he started, and that is reason for joy. And whatever happens to you, you know one thing for you. You may not understand it. You may not have a clue about what it all means, but you know one thing. God is working in the very midst of that for your good and his glory. Some of you may look at your life this Christmas and you say, boy, I don't have much reason for joy. Friends have let you down. Maybe your health is broken. Perhaps your finances are in shambles. Perhaps your prospects for the new year don't even look much better. Why be joyful? Remember the ABC theory. Activating event, belief about the event, consequent emotion. It's not the activating event. It's not what happens to you that creates the emotion. It's your belief about that that either helps you flounder or flourish. It's your belief about what happens to you. The dialogue that goes on in in your head based on your genuine belief that either causes troubling emotions or helps you win with your emotion. 
It's interesting to me that Isaac Watts, the writer of the great Christmas carol that we sing this time of year, Joy to the World, had exuberant joy even though he experienced deep disappointment in his life. Watts' music so inspired a young woman named Elizabeth Singer that she wrote Isaac Watts, the author of Joy to the World, she wrote him and said, I'm your biggest fan. And they correspond. It was kind of an 18th century version of an internet chat room love affair is what it was. And they wrote these letters back and forth and shared their true feelings and really got to know each other incredibly well. As some of you are aware, it can happen when you're corresponding with each other and you often have more substance in your relationship than when you're face-to-face. And so they were deeply in love, and she finally, unusual for that day, she proposed marriage, and he agreed. He was delighted, and so they began to make arrangements, and shortly after they were uh, engaged, she went to be by his side. True story, folks. But when Elizabeth Singer laid eyes on Isaac Watts, she was aghast. She could not believe, she was so disappointed, she immediately went back home and called off the wedding. Later she wrote, he was only five feet tall with a shallow face and a hooked nose, prominent cheekbones, small eyes, and a death-like color. She ditched him. And wouldn't give him the time of day. And he was so brokenhearted. Isaac Watts was so devastated that he remained a bachelor for the rest of his life. But in the midst of all this disappointment, his heart was still brimming with joy. Isn't it ironic that the guy who wrote Joy to the World experienced such deep sorrow and discouragement? How could he still have joy? Because it's not the activating event. It's the belief about the event that creates the emotion that either fosters joy or robs us of it. Now think about Watt's situation. Even though people had disappointed him horribly and let him down, even though he didn't have every physical advantage in life, he was still joyful because Jesus Christ reigned in Isaac Watt's life. And he believed God was working even through this personal pain to bring about good in his life. Activating event, fiance breaks his heart. Belief about the event, God loves me and is deepening me and building my character through this. Consequent emotion, joy unspeakable and full of glory because God's got my back. So again, I ask you, what is, that, what is that activating event in your life right now? That ominous looking wave that is crashing in on you. Your belief about that is going to make the difference in whether you run from it or run into it. Your belief about that crashing wave is going to make all the difference in whether you flounder or flourish. By the way, If you ever scratch your head and wonder why we constantly are trying to get people into the Bible, I got an answer for you. 
If you ever wonder why we're constantly promoting Bible studies and small groups and trying to get people to read their Bible and memorize Scripture and really become students of God's Word and get some sound biblical training and get grounded in good, sound biblical theology, we do that not only because of all the promises God makes in His Word for people who do that, and there are many, We do that for an incredibly practical reason. Why do we want you to know your Bible? Because you're going to navigate life better. That's why. When these activating events happen in your life, you're going to have the right beliefs about them if you have a biblical worldview, if you're thoroughly grounded in Scripture. But if you're not, look out. You're going to have all kinds of devastating emotions that may get the best of you at times and you may feel like your enemy is winning. All because the beliefs, the understanding of what this means may not be shaped by Scripture. So let me illustrate it as we move toward our close today. Let's say that you're a person who does not, I repeat, does not have sound biblical theology Just for whatever reason, you've not gotten that, and you lose your job. That's the activating event. And if you're not grounded in sound biblical theology, you may start having this dialogue in your head. You may believe these things. God hates me. God absolutely hates my guts. That's why he lets these things happen, and nobody really loves me. That's really why they fired me. I'm unlovable, really. I'm worthless. I'll never measure up, and I certainly don't have anything positive to look forward to in my future. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor Rex. Isn't that a little extreme? A person who would believe all those things and jump, aren't they a bit imbalanced to begin? You would be amazed. You would be amazed at the beliefs that people have when certain activating events happen in their lives. When a wave comes crashing in, it is more common to see it as destroying me, a threat, and to run from it rather than run into it and embrace the blessing that it can be in our lives. But let's, let's take that very same scenario, very same scenario with a person who is grounded, who really does understand the message of Scripture, who has hidden God's Word in their heart, it's saturated their mind, they are thoroughly biblically oriented and so on, they've internalized God's Word, and he or she loses their job. How might they think about that activating event? I would suggest to you they would think like this. This really stinks, and I hate it. And it's very painful. It is real. But I know one thing. My heavenly father loves me. He has made that crystal clear in his word. And he's also committed himself to conforming me to his image. The good work he started in me, according to Philippians 1.3, he's not going... Philippians 1, 6, he's not going to let up on until the day of Christ Jesus or until my life is over, one or the other. And so as painful as this is, as much as I dislike it, I'm going to use this time to do a little introspection. 
Maybe God wants me to take some stock. Maybe I've become a little sloppy and complacent. But I know one thing, God is going to use this to deepen me because he's told me in his word that he works in the midst of all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And so I'm going to hang on, and I know he's going to get me through this by his grace. That's the kind of real, honest dialogue that goes on in the mind of a person who is truly biblically oriented and who has hidden God's word in their heart. And because of all that, because I know all of that is true, joy shows up as the consequent emotion. You see, when our thinking and our beliefs are informed by God's word, Whatever activating events are going on in our lives, our beliefs help us to have consequent emotions that are healthy and God-honoring. So what's the bottom line today? Here it is. I think this Christmas, it's time for the joy to show up. Too many Christians are sour, negative, look like they were baptized in pickle juice. That's not Christianity. That's bondage. That's legalism. That's joyless. Run into the wave, gang. It was allowed by a father who knows you inside and out. God is working in the midst of it. And because of that, you can be joyful. Good news of great joy. That's what the angel said. And may that joy fill our lives this Christmas. And may it be contagious. Father, thank you for your amazing word that makes all the difference. Because all of us have these events, these activating events happening to us right now. They've happened this very day. They happened yesterday and the day before and last week, and last month, and last year. And we know the dialogue that went on in our heads around those events. And we know the emotions that came out of them. I pray for all of us, whether brand new as followers or old veterans, may we all be so thoroughly grounded in your truth that we would see every wave that crashes in for what it really is. And may we find the joy as the consequent emotion. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.